Hey everybody, welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. It's Matt here, and at the end of this episode, I'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free Journey app where you can access all of our recent message content. And actually, the app's the easiest way to share all this content with a friend and to keep up with everything going on around here at Journey. Just search Journey Calway in your app store. Now, most importantly, I hope this message inspires you to take your next step in following Jesus. Last week, we began the series, The Unsettling Solution for Just About Everything. And I started by telling you that, you know, there was a belief I had, and I wanted to tell you what I thought, and it was naive and simplistic, and some of you wouldn't agree, and some of you would think, well, how in the world could anybody believe that? And I get it, but I want to come back to it for just a minute, because I really, really do believe this deeply. I, I don't know why everybody wouldn't want Christianity to be true. Maybe not the version of Christianity that your parents introduced you to, or that the church presented to you growing up, or that the denomination you were in taught. Maybe not that version of Christianity. I don't know why everybody wouldn't want the original version of Christianity, the, the version that Jesus introduced to the world. I don't know why they wouldn't want that one to be true. And the reason I say that, and the reason I, I feel so strongly about this, is because whether you believe the evidence points to Christianity being true or not, that's another conversation. But I don't know why we all wouldn't hope and want it to be true because at the very center, the very foundation, the very core of the Christian faith is this idea of grace. Grace is undeserved, unearned, unearnable favor. Grace is when somebody shows up when they should walk away. We've all seen that happen. Grace is when someone extends and offers forgiveness when they should pursue payback. We've all seen that happen. Grace is when someone initiates reconciliation when they should sit back and just wait for somebody to come and apologize to them. We have all seen and witnessed and experienced the power of grace when someone showed up and gave something incredibly undeserved and unearned to another person. And let's be honest, many of us have been on the receiving end of that at different points. And we certainly have been on the receiving end of that when it comes to God. It is undeserved, unearned, unearnable favor. Why wouldn't everybody want that? Well, as it turns out, all of us resist that, don't we? It's so strange. It's ironic. We all want it. We want it when our guilt is exposed, but we also resist it. And part of the reason we resist it is there is something in you, just like there's something in me, that wants to feel like we have earned and deserved whatever it is we've gotten. And so whenever we push up against or run into something that, no, you can't earn it, you can't deserve it, well, we're like, I don't know that I want to admit that. I think I'd rather try to make a case for why I do deserve it. The problem is, the minute you think you deserve or earn grace, it's not grace anymore. It can't be grace anymore. You can't earn or deserve grace any more than you can plan your own surprise birthday party. It is impossible. The minute you think you've earned or deserved it, you have actually shut yourself off from grace. Now you're just getting something that you had coming to you. You're not getting something unearned, undeserved, and unearnable. The other thing about grace that's surprising is that it's entirely relational. Grace is so, so personal because relationships are always the carriers for grace. You cannot experience grace outside of the context of relationship. Again, you know this because every experience you have had with grace has been an experience of someone showing grace to you or you showing grace to someone. But it is so relational, it is so personal, which is why you should want Christianity to be true, and you should want the story of Christmas to be true, even if you're not sure that it is. Because the story of Christmas is a relational, personal story of grace. I'll say it this way. You, we would never have known, we would have never known the grace of God if we hadn't experienced the presence of God. Here's the story of Christmas. This is the whole point. 
It was God looking down and going, oh my goodness. They desperately need something they do not deserve. They need grace. And there's no way that I can offer it to them without showing up and making it personal for them. And so God took on flesh and bone. And Jesus was born as a baby and grew up in this world. Not dictating to us, but living among us. As personal as it could possibly be. Because he knew that was the only avenue through which we could experience grace. Relationships are always the carrier for grace. The problem is, and you know this and so do I, the problem is that kind of grace creates a lot of tension. It's wonderful when we experience personally that grace. It is very disturbing when we're required or when we're in a situation where it's expected of us to extend that to somebody. When my guilt is exposed, I want grace, absolutely. And I want the benefit of the doubt. And if you knew my situation and my story and you understood, okay, let me tell you all the factors. Well, now it makes sense. And that's not really, you know, what I'm normally like. So go ahead, go ahead. I, I want to take you to grace. But when it's somebody else, I don't want grace for them. I want justice for them. I want fairness for them, especially if they've hurt somebody I love or they've hurt me. And so there's this tension that we live in. I don't know if you ever thought of it this way. There's this tension we live in between what we want to get but what we don't want to give. Now imagine, imagine if you lived in the first century and you were able to personally interact with Jesus. Jesus was grace and truth in a body. Full on truth, full on grace. And everywhere he showed up, it was unsettling to people the way that he interacted with others and the way he spoke truth and the way he demonstrated grace. It was so unusual. It was so foreign to the way they operated and they related with one another. But I'm telling you, he set us an extraordinary example because that kind of grace properly applied is the unsettling solution for just about everything, especially everything relationally in your life and mine. But it is not easy to practice. And there is something inside of you and me that every time we bump up against it, I'm just telling you, you know this, we want to resist it. And that was true all the way back in the first century. As a matter of fact, if you read the accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will find instance after instance after instance where Jesus demonstrates grace and truth in such a powerful way that you would think people would go, this is amazing, give me more of that. And instead, there were always people there who were going, no, 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 we're, we're a little bothered by that. And they would hold Jesus at arm's length, or in some cases, they would ask him, just leave our town, leave our town. We, we don't know what to do with this, and so we'd rather you leave as us wrestle through the tension of what we're feeling right now. Luke gives us one of those stories and one of those examples. It was a pretty fascinating story. And if you grew up in church, you have heard this. If you went to vacation Bible school as a kid, you learned a song related to this, and it's about to get stuck in your head. And I'm sorry, it'll be there all day long, but we're not going to sing it, okay? You're, don't worry about that. But it's going to get stuck in your head because it'll come right back. This story is fascinating to me. Luke, if you don't know much about Luke, he was not a follower of Jesus until after the resurrection. Luke was a medical doctor. And then after the resurrection, he came to believe, and then he became friends with the Apostle Paul. And he ended up traveling with Paul, spent a lot of time with Paul as part of his team. And one of the things Luke wanted to do, being the way he was wired and the way he thought, he was like, okay, we need, and this was his words, an orderly account of exactly what happened when Jesus was on this earth. So Luke went and he interviewed all of these eyewitnesses, and he compared all of their stories and all of their experiences to make sure that he could write the most accurate account, and then he wrote it down, and lo and behold, it became one of the accounts of Jesus' life that we still have in our New Testament today. And in the middle of this account, Luke tells us this fascinating story 
about what would happen in communities oftentimes when Jesus showed up and demonstrated this grace and truth that was so foreign to the way all of them lived and tended to relate to one another. So let me read you this story real quick. I think this may help some of us who feel this resistance and this tension to figure out what to do with it. Here's what it says. Luke tells us Jesus entered Jericho and was just passing through. So Jesus is with his 12 disciples. They're on their way somewhere. We don't know exactly where they were headed. They were on their way somewhere. Jericho is on the way, so they don't have dinner reservations. They haven't booked a hotel. This is literally a drive-by, okay? This is a, we're just going to walk through the town. We're going to keep right on going. The problem is, when you're Jesus, it was very hard for him to walk through anywhere without getting stopped. You can imagine. So word gets out. Before they ever get to Jericho, word gets out. Jesus and his guys, they are on their way. They're going to be here in just a little bit. And then a big crowd starts to form because there's a main street that, you know, they've got to walk down. So big crowd starts to form because everybody wants to see Jesus, including a very, very unlikely character in the story. Luke continues and he tells us, a man was here in Jericho by the name of Zacchaeus. Does that name ring a bell? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man. Was a... Yeah, I don't even know if you can sing that today. That's probably not politically correct. But, but if you went to vacation Bible school as a kid, you remember that song. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, he was wealthy precisely because he was a chief tax collector. So the way it worked back then, Zacchaeus was basically, as a chief tax collector, the CEO of a major operation. Zacchaeus had a lot of tax collectors underneath him, and these tax collectors were placed in uh, portside cities and major crossroads where there was a lot of you know, uh, traffic coming through and there was a lot of commerce happening. They'd be placed in all the major towns and all the major ports. So Zacchaeus, as a chief tax collector had been given authority by Rome to manage an entire region, all the tax collectors in that region. And their job was to collect taxes for Rome. They didn't just do it once a year. They did it at different points throughout the year. They did it at transaction points oftentimes. So because of that, there was always money being exchanged. And these tax collectors had to get whatever Rome required and pass it on up the chain so it would get to Rome. But Rome didn't care if they put an upcharge on the taxes. So as much as they could get out of somebody, that was fine with Rome. It didn't matter to them. They just wanted their cut. So these tax collectors would put an upcharge on these taxes, but they had to put a big enough upcharge that they could get rich and keep a good chunk of money. But then they also had to pass part of that upcharge on to Zacchaeus. And because of that, Zacchaeus got very, very wealthy. And, and in that day, think about this, in that day, might made right. What I mean by that is whoever had the power and whoever had the money, whoever had the wealth, got to make all the rules in that culture. So you didn't have a way to go challenge somebody with power back then. If they had the money, they got to say what was right and wrong, and they got to decide what they were going to do, and you couldn't really stop it. You just had to go along with it. There was no way to resist it. So Zacchaeus has become extremely wealthy, as all of this money has flowed up to him. And as you could imagine, while he had a lot of money and he had a lot of power, he had very few friends. He was not very popular. In Jericho, it would be safe to say he was a hated man. Nobody wanted anything to do with this guy. But Zacchaeus hears, just like everybody else, well, Jesus is coming. And he's heard about Jesus, and he thinks, hmm, I'm curious. So Luke tells us this happened. He wanted to see, now notice this, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. Okay, so, interesting detail, isn't it? I'm sure Zacchaeus is like, of all the things you could have said about me, that's what you put in your story. But this is a key part of the story. Now, Zacchaeus was curious. He didn't want to actually meet Jesus. As you can tell, Luke says, no, no, 
All he wanted to do, he'd heard so much about Jesus, he just wanted to see who Jesus was. I, I just want to see what he looks like. I just want to watch him for a minute and say, okay, well, now I know who he is. But the problem was, and Zacchaeus knew this, the crowd's already gathered along the road. It's like a you know, parade at Disney World. It is, it is 8, 10 deep. You know? So he's, he's short. He's going to be in the back of the crowd. There's no way he's going to be able to see. Nobody's going to let him go to the front because nobody's going to do a favor for the guy who's ripping them off and taking all of their money. So Zacchaeus realizes, I got a, I got a problem. What am I going to do? And he comes up with a very, very unconventional solution. So he ran ahead, and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus, since Jesus was coming that way. Now, can you imagine? This had to be such a strange, funny sight. One of the most powerful, wealthiest men in the town, sitting up in a tree, watching this whole parade take place, so to speak. It had to have everybody scratching their head going, what is he doing, you know? But nobody expected what happened next. Luke tells us that when Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was sitting in the tree, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. To which Zacchaeus, I think, thought, oh no, that is not what I wanted. I'm up here in the tree just to spot him. I didn't want to talk to him. I sure don't want to end up in a conversation with him because no doubt Zacchaeus had had conversations with other religious leaders. They were never positive. I'm sure they were always contentious. So he's thinking, oh no, oh no heard about this guy now it's going to end up turning into a deal and he's you know he's going to tell me all the things I'm doing wrong meanwhile as you could imagine everybody in the crowd when they hear Jesus say this is thinking oh yeah this is what we've been waiting for we can't challenge him he's too powerful and rich Jesus can challenge him Jesus why don't you just go ahead and tell him exactly what he's doing wrong and how he needs to straighten things up and you know treat us better they were all shocked at what came out of Jesus mouth next he said, I must stay at your house today. And all, you got to know, all his disciples are behind him going, oh, no, here we go. No, no, we're passing through. This is the last thing you want to do, Jesus. Nobody in the town is going to like us if you go hang out with this guy. Jesus goes, no, no. Zacchaeus, I want to I stay at your house today. And so Zacchaeus responded. He came down at once. He welcomed him gladly. But the crowd responds like you would expect. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. And whenever they used the term sinner back in those days, basically what they were saying is, he has gone to be the guest of somebody that God doesn't even care about. He's gone to be the guest of somebody who's not a, even a priority to our God. He's gone to be the guest of somebody that God wouldn't want to spend time with. I mean, they were, they were so turned off and put off by this. you got to be kidding me. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner like Zacchaeus. You've you got to understand from their point of view. It makes sense why they're muttering about it. It makes sense why they're so frustrated over it. Here they've gotten their family together and they got there at 6 a.m. And, you know, they staked out their spot for the parade and they got all their signs ready and they taught their kids, I love Jesus, yes, I do chant. You know, they had everything ready. They've been sitting there in the sun for hours just because they want to see. This is their one shot in Jericho to see Jesus. And here he comes through, and he passes by all of them, and he goes to the most irreligious guy in the entire town, the biggest scoundrel, cheat, and thief that they have, and he invites himself over to his house. You kidding me? Like, Zacchaeus gets the meet and greet. Zacchaeus, he's getting more than a selfie. He's getting dinner with Jesus. The, the truth of the matter is, come on, truth of the matter is, if we're honest, if we're honest, if we were there, 
we'd be muttering too, wouldn't we? If we were there, we'd be going, that ain't fair. Are you kidding me? Why are you going to hang out with him and not with us? We, we follow your teachings. We're big fans. We're living good lives. We, we think we deserve a little bit of this time, not him. And the reason we would mutter and think that way, and the reason they muttered and thought that way, is because all of us have such a hard time seeing the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven the way it really is. Now, here's what I mean by that. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is just the way the world would work if the world were working right. It's the way people would live and relate to one another if people were living right. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is just the way God designed for us to live and relate to one another. It's, it's when the vision and the values of God are lived out on this earth. That's what the kingdom of God or, of, or kingdom of heaven means. And Jesus would talk about this often, and nobody could ever get it. But Jesus was always looking at people saying, no, 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 you don't understand what the kingdom of God is like. That's why you don't understand who God is. That's why you don't see God the way he really is. That's why you don't see other people the way God sees them. That's why you don't see you the way God sees you. Because you just don't get it. And people would always be like, no, we don't get it. And what you're doing doesn't seem fair. And he's going, well, it just doesn't seem fair to you because you're, you don't understand the bigger picture. And so what Jesus would do over and over again is he would tell these parables, which are made-up stories, to try to help people get a better understanding of what the kingdom of God was really like and what Jesus meant when he talked about it. He'd try to get, help them get a better understanding of how God saw people and how they should see people. And so if you read the accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to find a pattern you're going to find over and over and over again, Jesus looks at crowds and says, okay, let me just tell you a story. It's made up, but let me tell you a story. Because the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he would make up this story. The kingdom of God is like, and he'd make up this story. He did it over and over and over again. Matter of fact, there was a, an account in Matthew's gospel of a story, one of these parables that Jesus told. And I, I feel like this story gets right to the heart of why you and I so often feel tension when it comes to grace and we go, well, that's not fair and that's not right. Why we find ourselves identifying with the crowd that day going, why would you hang out with him? Why would you be the guest of a sinner? Why would you do, allow good things to happen in his life when he's not living? And why do bad things happen to me? You know, all those questions we have and all those frustrations. Jesus said, well, let me tell you a story to try to explain that. Let me tell you a story to try to help remove the resistance that you often feel and the tension you often have when it comes to grace and how my grace is offered and applied. So here's the story Jesus told one day. He said, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. Now, he's just making this up. It's like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. So even though it's a made-up story, this is a common scenario because this is how it worked in those days. Landowners would show up at the town square every day. They would look to see who was available to work. They would pick out the ones they needed, offer them a wage, and off they would go, and they would work for the day. So Jesus says, just imagine there was a landowner who showed up, and he agreed to pay. He chose some people, and he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Now, the thing you need to know is that a denarius in that day was a full day's wage. It equaled a full day's wage. Typically, if you worked for somebody for a day, they gave you a denarius. So this is an important point. Jesus says this landowner has offered these workers a fair wage. You want fair? You're going to get fair. You're asking for fair? I'm going to give you fair. You're going to get a full day's wage. But then the story continues. 
Jesus says about nine in the morning, this landowner went out and he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he's like, well, we've got more work to do. We need some more help. So he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard. I'll pay you whatever is right. And so they went. Now, made up story, but in this made up story, these workers don't even negotiate their wage. You know what's that? These 9 a.m. workers, this shift that comes in at 9, they're like, you know what? We're just going to trust this guy to do what's right by us. And, and they, the reason they did it is because clearly in the story, this man has a reputation for being trustworthy. So they just go ahead and go. And they're confident he'll do the right thing at the end of the day. The story repeats itself. Jesus says, the landowner went out again about noon and again about 3 in the afternoon. He did the same thing. And about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Well, the answer is pretty obvious, because no one's hired us, they said. So the landowner says to him, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now, you got all these different workers who've shown up in all of these different shifts. The 6 a.m. guys, they know exactly what they're going to get paid. They negotiate a fair wage. You're going to get it in areas, a full day's wage. The rest of these workers are just trusting this landowner to do what is right in the end. These 5 o'clock workers have shown up, and in those days you worked from sunup to sundown because there was no electricity, so you know, they started about 6, but by 6 p.m. that night, sun's going down and they're about done. So this 5 o'clock shift, they've got at most an hour. They're not going to be able to get much work in at all. So, Jesus is such a brilliant storyteller. This is where the twist comes. He says, when evening came, when the sun went down, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired, that 5 p.m. shift, the ones who only worked an hour, and then going on to the first. So you get the picture. In this made-up story, they're all lined up. They're all waiting to get their paycheck for the day. But the 5 o'clock shift there is first and all the way back to the guys who've worked in the hot sun all day long. And then Jesus says this happened. The workers who were hired about 5 in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. They worked an hour. They got a full day's wage. How extraordinary is that? That's unreal. Those guys walked away, and you know, you know they did. They walked back out, and they walked right by the line of all the guys who were waiting to get their paychecks, and they're, they are so pumped, they're telling everybody, we, he paid us a whole day. He paid us for a whole day. He paid us for a whole day. So what do you think happens to the rest of the people in the line? I bet you can guess. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. Let me pause right there. Why would they expect to receive more? Not because they had asked for more, negotiated for more, or agreed on more. Nope. They got exactly what they had agreed upon. They got exactly what was fair. A full day's work, we got a full day's pay. So why did they expect to receive more? Because they compared. That's why. And when they saw somebody else get more than they deserved, suddenly they felt like they deserved more than what they were getting. See, this is the problem with 
comparing. This is a problem with expectations. When you begin to expect, you become entitled. And you do realize gratitude can never reside where entitlement lies. Gratitude never resides where entitlement lies. The minute you begin to expect, the minute you begin to compare, you will find things that feel unfair to you. That's what comparing always does. Comparing will make you feel like things are unfair. And it did for these workers. So Jesus says they did this. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Had he done anything wrong to them? No, nothing at all. Now some of you are sitting there going, well, yeah, that's not fair. Okay, we'll get to that. But he gave them exactly what they had agreed upon. He gave them a full day's wage. But they said, those who were hired last worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. This is their way of, you know, complaining, going, no, 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 we worked all day in the hot sun and we didn't take a very long lunch break and it was so difficult. And now you're rewarding them just equal to us. And so in the story, Jesus says the landowner looks back and he answers one of them. I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Well, yeah, but that was before I knew. Well, yeah, but that was before I saw. But yeah, but that was before you gave. The, no, 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 no. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Well, yeah. He says, okay, take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. To which I'm sure those you know, workers would have said, well, yeah, you definitely gave the ones who were hired last. They didn't earn hardly any of that. But you didn't give us anything. We worked for all of that. We earned it. We deserve it. Which the landowner could have gone, well, yeah, yeah, you sure did. Right after I gave you a job this morning. Oh, yeah, well, there was that. But let's, let's ignore that. After that, I worked for it. You know, yeah, yeah, but I gave you exactly what you asked for. So if I want to give them what I gave you, What's that to you? Well, it's a problem for me because, see, now I'm comparing. If you'd never done that, I'd have been perfectly content with my full day's wage. But now that they're getting that much and they don't deserve it, clearly they don't deserve it. Look at them. They barely work. They barely broke a sweat. Okay, now I've got a problem with this. And so in this story, Jesus, he's so brilliant when he tells stories. In this story, he ends with two questions. Two questions that as he was talking to his crowd that day that struggled with grace and the generosity of God towards people, it must have silenced them. Two questions that, just like those folks in Jericho who were muttering, it would have silenced those folks. Two questions that ought to silence those of us, especially those of us who tend to be a little self-righteous and feel like we've earned and deserve a little more. Here's how the story ends. He says, don't I have a right to do what I want with my own money? Well, yeah, but, no, 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 no buts. Don't I have a right to do with what I want with my own money? Well, I guess, but I think you should be fair. So, wait a minute. Are, are you envious because I'm generous? To which we all go, no, 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 I don't, envy sounds so bad. No, no, I'm not envious. I just think you ought to be fair. Where are you getting your idea of fairness? Well, because I'm comparing what I did and what I got in return to what they did and what they got in return. And Jesus' point is, you only think it's unfair because you compare. And it's fine if you want to compare, but at least compare yourself to the right standard. See, we, we find unfairness everywhere we look because we're looking around comparing ourselves to one another. 
So it's like, well, I work harder than them, and I don't understand why. And, I, you know, I've been better than, and I don't understand why, and I, I follow God better. I don't understand. We find unfairness everywhere we compare because we're looking at each other. Jesus says, no, no, no. The problem is the reason you think so much of life is unfair and the reason you think my grace is unfair towards people is because you're comparing to the wrong standard. And you can compare to one another and you can always find somebody that you feel like you're a little better than and a little farther ahead than. But that's not the standard. The standard is the truth of Jesus. The standard is the one who called sin, sin, and sinners, sinners, and then he laid down his life for sinners and paid the debt for their sin. The standard is God going, here is the bar. It is perfection. It is me. None of you can reach high enough. So none of you deserve. This is Jesus' point. He's going, okay, you view this all wrong and you resist my grace because some of you have convinced yourselves that you don't really need it. You resist my grace towards others because you think you've earned it and everybody ought to earn it, but you're misleading yourself. You have not earned or deserve it any more than anybody else. And you only think you do because you're comparing yourself to the wrong standard. So for all of us who find ourselves a little self-righteous, for all of us who find ourselves going, yeah, but, and let me tell you, I'm the one that shows up before everybody at work, and I stay after everybody, and I take a shorter lunch, and I work harder, and, you know, I've, I'm more serious about following God, and I read my Bible, and I do all this stuff, and I show up at church, and look at them, look at them. You know, for all of us who have that self-righteousness in us that goes, okay, okay, I think I do earn this a little bit. I think I do deserve for God to. Jesus says, whoa, 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 can we just reset reality for a minute? You don't deserve for me to do anything good for you because you haven't met my standard and you never will. You're not nearly as good as you think you are. And you're not nearly as far along ahead of all those other people as you think you are either. So, it's Jesus looking at you and looking at me going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Can't, can't I do what I want with my own money? Can't I do what I want with my own grace? Are you envious because I'm generous? If I want to walk along and I want to point to a guy like Zacchaeus and I want to spend the evening or the afternoon at his house, do you have any reason to be upset with that? You're going to call that unfair because I'm willing to demonstrate grace to him? Well, I've demonstrated grace to you, and you're really not all that different in the grand scheme of things. So for all of us who want fair, Jesus' reminder is, no, no, no. Fairness means justice, and none of us want justice. What you want is grace. And grace is way better than fair. It's way better than fair. The reason grace is way better than fair is because God looked down at us and said, the bar is so high that they'll never meet it, but my love is so great that I'm going to show up for them. The bar is so high, they're never going to get there. My love is so deep that I'm going to go down there and meet them where they are. And I'm going to give them precisely what they do not deserve and cannot earn. I'm going to offer them grace. And the beauty of grace is everybody is invited. Everybody. Doesn't matter what's in our past, what's going on in our present, it doesn't matter how good or bad we think we are. It doesn't matter where we fall on the scale of Zacchaeus to religious. Everybody's invited because everybody needs grace and nobody meets the standard. Nobody 
can set the bar. Not only is everybody invited, everybody enters through the same door in the same way. It's pretty extraordinary. The door in the way is Jesus. Now imagine this. Imagine if God had decided, I'm going to make people earn their way to my forgiveness and earn their way into my family. Imagine that. And so he sets a bar somewhere. Maybe there's a handful of people who can live well enough and do enough good that they can earn their way and meet that bar. But the reality is, wherever God set the bar, most of us wouldn't have been able to make it. But that's not what God did. That wouldn't be fair. So he said, I'm going to set the bar so high nobody can meet it. And then I'm going to show up and meet them. And I'm going to give them the very thing they do not deserve and have not earned. I'm going to extend grace to them. And it's simple. It's simple. Because Jesus is going to call sin, sin, and sinner, sinners, and then he's going to lay down his life for those sinners and pay for their sin. That is the whole message of Christmas. It is why you should hope Christianity is true, and you should hope the Christmas story is true whether you believe it or not. Because the reality is that is a grace that you cannot find anywhere else. That is a God you will not find anywhere else. A God who says, they can't come to me, I'll go to them. And I'll do everything on their behalf. And then Jesus says, okay, you want to make it better than fair? I'm going to make it better than fair. I'm going to tell all of you this grace is free. All you have to do is put your trust in me. This grace is free. If you'll just acknowledge I've already done for you what needs to be done, it's yours. People ask me sometimes, well, Matt, there's got to be a limit to grace. Like, where's the limit? I mean, you, you can't just go on and on and on, live whatever way you want to live and do whatever you want to do and get a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance. Eventually, the chances have to run out with God, right? Well, there is a limit to grace. There's one, only one, but there's one limit to grace. The only limit to grace is your lack of humility. That's it. That's it. The only limit to grace is your pride and my pride. Because as long as you think you can earn it and deserve it, as long as you feel self-righteous enough to believe it should come your way, then you have cut yourself off from grace. Because by its very definition, grace cannot be earned or deserved. The only limit to grace is your lack of humility. It's your pride. The minute you're willing to humble yourself and say, I can't do this on my own, is the minute God says, that's all we need to know. Here it is. Here it is. The grace is for you. So for some of you, this is incredibly hopeful. Because for some of you, you're in a position right now where you feel like, well, I don't deserve a second chance. I don't even know if I can get one. And I don't know that I can get a better than expected outcome. And I don't know that I can experience a better than deserved future. And Jesus is looking at you going, yeah, you can because I showed up at Christmas. You can because this is exactly why I came. But it is disturbing unsettling for those of us who are like the people in the crowd at Jericho that day, for those of us who are like the 6 a.m. shift in Jesus' story. It's unsettling and disturbing for those of us who are, let's just call it what it is, we're self-righteous. And because we've been better and we've tried harder and we've done more, we really think, we would never admit it, gosh, it sounds too terrible, so just like not wanting to say we're envious. We would never admit this, but the reality is we think we're a little better than other people. We think we deserve a little more from God, and we think, come on, we think God owes us a little bit because look at how good we've lived and look at all we've done for him. He's going, nope, 
You don't get it. As a matter of fact, you've just cut yourself off from experiencing grace because you think you deserve and earn it. So now you're disqualified from it. So humble yourself. Humble yourself. So you can experience my grace in your life day after day after day. But it takes humility. So here's what I want to do as we wrap up. I thought, you know what? For all of us here who recognize it, and this is so hopeful for us. We're like, oh, that is, I don't know if it's true, but if it's true, that is exactly what I need. For all of us who are like that, I want, I want to give you a very clear, simple way to embrace God's grace today. And then for all of us who have drifted off or wandered away or we become self-righteous, we maybe didn't even realize it, but as we were telling those stories, you were identifying way more with the crowd in Jericho and you were identifying way more with the 6 a.m. workers than you were with Jesus. There's your sign, Okay. For all of us who we've let that creep into our hearts a little bit. Jesus says, well, come on, come on. Come on home this Christmas. Come on back to reality. Come on back to the grace that is waiting for you if you will just acknowledge that you need it. Let's choose humility. So for all of us who are willing to do that, I thought, let me give us a really simple way to express that or voice that to God. And so I'm going to invite you in just a minute to just silently where you are. You can just, in your mind, in your heart, you can just tell God something like this. But for those of you who aren't sure what to do, I thought, well, let me just write you a prayer, which is a little presumptuous, isn't it? But, but I did it anyway. I thought, let me just write you a prayer. I'm going to make it really simple, okay? This is plug and pray. This is what this is. So I just wrote you a prayer, okay? The prayer says this. Heavenly Father, I fall short every day. That's the, that's the truth part. You got to start there. Because you never will appreciate or be able to experience grace if you first don't embrace the truth of how short you fall. So, Heavenly Father, I fall short every day. There's your truth. I need what I don't deserve. There's your grace. To be forgiven of my sin and restored to you. I believe Jesus' death on my behalf accomplished both. I think that's why he died, to make it possible for me to experience grace, to be forgiven and part of your family. So I place my trust in him. What he did for me is my Savior my leader. It really is that simple. For some of you, you've never done this. And today's going to be an extraordinary day and lead to an extraordinary Christmas for you because grace is going to become personal for the first time. You may have been in church your whole life. You may have been very religious, but you've never done this. You've always cut yourself off from grace because you thought you deserved it. So for some of you, it's going to be extraordinary. For some of you, you've just wandered away. And you just need to come back, not that you're not a part of God's family, but you just need to come back and say, God, I want to humble myself again and admit, man, I blew it, but your grace is here, and I'm embracing it. So I want to give you an opportunity to pray, and I'll let all of you bow your head and close your eyes, but if you want to pray this prayer, we'll keep it up on the TV, and so you can just read it in your mind and, and pray it, okay? So if you would, bow your heads with me, and just tell God this, Heavenly Father, I'll fall short every day. I need what I don't deserve to be forgiven of my sin and restored to you. I just need our relationship to be right again. So I believe Jesus' death on my behalf accomplished both of those things. And I'm going to place my trust in him as my savior and my leader. God, would you help us to have enough humility to be able to admit and acknowledge? We're way more like Zacchaeus than we want to admit. Matter of fact, for those of us who are, you know, self-righteousness is rattling around inside of us, I would say we're worse than Zacchaeus. Because we think we've earned and we deserve, and therefore 
We can't even enjoy the grace that you're trying to give us. So God, would you give us the ability to choose humility? And to first accept the grace that you have shown us. But then God, there are a lot of us who we're, we are resistant to extending grace to somebody else. And it's just pride. And if we could ever understand how much we need it and how gracious and generous you have been to us, then it makes no sense for us to do anything but be that gracious and generous towards them. So then give us the strength to do that this week, to lay down our pride in our relationships and to offer grace instead. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you'd take a moment to rate and review this podcast, it would really be helpful. And if you live near our church, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our phenomenal children and student environments, just visit us at journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Look forward to seeing you soon.